Hey, listen, we're closing out a series called Freedom Maker. That's actually our theme for the entire year is freedom. We want you to experience freedom in your life, but yet so many of us are going to miss out on that freedom. So we kind of centered around this thought, that the quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. So you don't even have to be a Christian for this to apply to you. If you make bad choices, the quality of your life is going to be pretty poor all right, but if you make good decisions, if the quality of your decisions are good, then the quality of your life is also going to reflect the decisions that you make. So when your values are clear, your decisions are easier. So we all have values and our decisions should bring us closer to our values. And that's kind of what the problem is. All of us say we have values, but then our choices take us farther away from the things that we say we actually value. So we rarely get to experience freedom. So today, as we close the series out, I want to kind of give you this thought, right, this phrase, when I commit, I don't quit. It even rhymes. That's because I'm a rapper, you know, throwing it out there for you, little lyrics. And so when I commit, I don't quit. So when I commit to something, I'm not going to quit. And all of us, we can agree, it's super easy to start something it's a lot harder to like finish a project. I'll give you like a real life example. So about four years ago, uh, my wife and I, we started we, uh, like a whole renovation project for our guest bathroom upstairs. And it was a whole big deal. And as we were going through it, we were actually putting like frames, uh, like kind of like this wood framing around um, the tub up there. And we got this piece cut and we cut it the exact way it was supposed to be, except reversed. By that, I mean like the wood on the side that we cut, the side that would be showing had all the writing on it. So obviously you just get a new piece, but we didn't have any more. So you know what we did? I left it alone. You know why? Because it's my kid's bathroom. I honestly don't care about the bathroom, not them, all right, right. So I just left it alone. And honestly, it sat that way for four years, all right. Aaron's uh, parents were in town this past week and we finally like finished the project and it felt so good. You know, it's like, hey guys, it only took us four years, but we finally finished this thing because it's super easy to start something, you get excited about it, but it's a whole different story to actually finish the thing that you started uh, Angela Duckworth, I love what she says. She's a, an American scientist and psychologist. So this lady has put in a lot of work, super smart. And she did a study on what makes successful people successful. Like if you're a successful person, what is it? And she said this, enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. Enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. And her study showed that like people who were successful when they faced adversity, when they faced hardships, when they faced difficulties, when things got tough, they continued to push through it. They weathered the storms and they were able to make it through. So many of us, when we face difficulties, it's just easier to throw in the towel. Like, hey, I'm not going to finish this. This is too hard for me. I can't get this done or whatever. And you have to realize you have an enemy that wants you to quit, right? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have a huge target on your life. And it's like, oh, you're married? He's going to want you to quit that. You have kids? He's going to want those relationships to fall apart. If you make money at all, he's going to want you to be financially strapped. He's going to look for areas in your life where he can target you because he wants you to quit. It's so much easier to quit. So there's a guy named Paul. He's a prominent part of the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters. 
in the New Testament. And Paul, when he writes this particular letter, is at the end of his life. He's an old man. He's literally about to be executed for being a Christian. And he writes to a young pastor named Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young guy in the ministry just getting going. And, and Paul was like his mentor. He's really like his coach. And he was giving Timothy some information that he felt like he needed to hear. It's in 2 Timothy uh, 4. So he actually got two letters written to him. But listen to what it says in verse 5. He writes, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Right? Because when we go through stuff, sometimes our decision making gets really cloudy. Right? When things come up and your emotions get going, it's really hard to think level-headed. And so Paul's telling him, hey, when you're approaching different situations, you've got to have a clear mind. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord, working at telling, work at telling others the good news, and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. He's saying, like, hey, listen, you're going to face some hardships when you follow Jesus. It's going to be difficult. You don't worry about that. You stay faithful. You stay committed. You keep doing the work that God has given you. You be about that business. But then he continues on. But as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And I love that because what Paul is saying is, Timothy, you've got a lot of life left. You keep following after God. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be times when you're going to want to quit. There's going to be times you're going to want to throw in the towel. Keep pressing through. He says, me, my life is at the very end. And as I look back over my life, from the moment he started following Jesus, he says, I have no regrets. He says, I've done everything I was supposed to do. It's like a pitcher of water. He says, I'm like, I've poured out everything that I have. I have nothing left to give. He said, I have fought the fight, I've kept the faith, and I'm finishing my race strong. And I think that is so amazing. It's like, man, that's what I want to be able to say at the end of it all. Like, I've done everything that I could. Like, when I put the boxing gloves down or whatever analogy you want to use, when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to look back and go, you know what? There's some things I could have done better. Here's some decisions I would have changed. But I've done everything I was supposed to do to follow Jesus. But what tends to happen for most of us is we find excuses and then we kind of justify ourselves. I love what David Allen, he's a time management consultant, and he wrote a book called Getting Things Done. And he says this, much of the stress that people feel doesn't come from having too much to do. It comes from not finishing what they've started. It's the pending stuff. Right, you already know, but like you're already thinking about it this week. For those of you at work, you're already thinking about the things that are over here pending that you have to get done that you're like, I'll start it next week, right? You're already like pushing it off because it's difficult. None of us like to do those kind of things. We all like to procrastinate a little bit, some of us more than others, right? It's something we got to like teach our kids as they get older and not to put things off. So the question for you this morning is simply this, what is your unfinished business? What is that thing that like you're supposed to do and you didn't do it? We're talking like a God thing here, okay? Thinking about this, like maybe you were gonna like talk to someone about your faith. Maybe you're gonna invite someone to church and then you got scared and you didn't. You know, like literally we put an invite card in your hand today. Maybe this is your opportunity to be able to go and do that. Maybe you're supposed to share your faith with someone. Maybe you were gonna call that person to try to like, 
start to mend that broken relationship. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, I'm gonna join a small group you didn't. Maybe for you, it's I was gonna get baptized and I didn't. Maybe it's I'm gonna start getting healthy and you hadn't started. What is that thing that you started and you didn't do it? I love what Paul writes. He writes to this church in Corinth and he gives them some advice for something that they wanted to do. He says this, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving, given to proportion to what you have. So what Paul is talking about here to give a little context is the Corinthian church was a lot like the American church. All right, Corinth was a very wealthy city, very prominent. They had everything they wanted. They were doing well. At the same time, in Jerusalem, people who were Christians were suffering a lot of persecution. They were being thrown in jail. They were being killed. They couldn't get jobs. They couldn't provide. And they were facing a lot of poverty. So as Paul went around to the different churches, he wanted to be able to raise money to give it as a gift to these believers who were suffering. And the Corinthian church were the first people to step up. They were like, we'll give Paul. And they got so excited about it. And it says they started the work and they started getting after it. But here he is a year later and he's reminding them of the excitement that they had at the beginning. He says, hey, remember when you were like leading the charge? Remember when you said you were going to be the church to set the example? He's like, here I am a year later letting you know it'd be really good if you could just do what you said you were going to do. Now, what's the big deal if they didn't give, right? I mean, it's kind of like it's they're doing it out of the generosity of their hearts. They're doing it out of their abundance. What's the big deal if they didn't do it, right? Like, it's not a big deal if they didn't give. They weren't commanded to do it. It wasn't like this spiritual obligation. It was just something they said they wanted to do. We do that all the time. Like, hey, I should do this. What's the big deal if they don't do it? Well, the big deal would have been that there were believers that were told you're going to have help and you're going to get some assistance. And then those people would have continued to suffer even more. Those people's lives would have been affected. This entire series has set up around this whole thought that like we all say we want freedom in various areas of our lives, but then we make decisions that pull us away from the very thing that will give us freedom. So it's a big deal. Like if that thing that you think you wanted to do or you feel like God like put on your heart, like I should call this person, I should talk to this person, I should invite this person, it's a big deal because you have no idea what eternal ramifications there could be. I think when you read in the book of Revelation and, and it says that Jesus or God will wipe away every tear from their eye, I believe uh, that at that moment, we're gonna have the realization of so much regret and hurt people that we're going to think about that we should have shared Jesus to, people we should have invited to church and we didn't, and those people will be forever separated from God, I believe in that moment we will realize the gravity of our indecisions. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Hey, what's that thing that God put on your heart? You should go do it. Whatever it was, like that thing you felt like you were supposed to do and you didn't do it, hey, you should like go ahead and do that. And I think when you, you think about like the quality of our life and we talk about freedom, what's the big deal in quitting? I think the big deal in quitting, and some of us, maybe you've done this before, you quit at something, it gets a little easier to quit the next time. And it gets a little easier to quit 
the next time. You know, I've never personally been a quitter in my life. I think there's been some seasons where, like, I don't finish strongly, right? But I've, I've never been a quitter. And part of that's probably because how I was raised, uh, how I was raised, my dad being army, you know, like, oh, we won't quit. I'm like, Ooh. I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, you're built so much different than I am, though. You know, like, you're such a big dude. I'm scrawny. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens when you eat rice for your whole life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what you ate, dad, right? So um, I, but I've never been a quitter. But there was two times in my life where um, I, I faced what I call the golden apple. The golden apple, all right? This is a golden apple. Did you know you could buy a golden apple? You ever had that? In the store, you just find them. They're golden and delicious. No, apple joke. All right, come on. All right, come on. Online, a little grace, golden delicious apple. No, I spray painted this, all right? You can't find a golden apple. But uh, the golden apple represents um, that thing in your life, it's the easy way out. It's the way that says like, hey, you're going this really difficult path, but look at over here. Over here is exactly what you want. Take the golden apple and it's shiny. It's that thing that detours you from what your ultimate calling is. The golden apple is what Satan ultimately offered Jesus in Jesus' temptations when you read about it in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Satan says, all you have to do is just worship me just for a second and I'll give you all the world. In other words, what he was telling Jesus is, I know you're going to die and suffer and if you just take this, you don't have to suffer and you get the same result. You'll save all humanity. All you have to do is this thing and ultimately Jesus resisted that temptation, which was the most difficult temptation for him to resist. But the golden apple sits there and it detracts us from our ultimate calling. It looks good, it looks shiny, you just want to bite it. But when you do, you find that you get the opposite of what you were really looking for. I want to share with you two very personal times in my life where this almost happened uh, the first was um, several years ago, Aaron and I were coming into almost being married for, for 10 years. Our church uh, had gone through at that time the greatest growth. It was just really amazing to see what happened. I think we grew by like 55% as a church that year. And things were going so amazing uh, here at church. But honestly, at home, things were very difficult. Right? If you're married, you can relate to this. It was like, it was constant fighting. There was just difficulties. And honestly, genuine thoughts of maybe, maybe it would just be easier if we went separate directions. Right? If you're successful in something or if you experience success, it's really hard to be in a place where everyone says you're amazing and then to be in another place and to feel like you're the, you're the worst person in the world. Right? And, and that's kind of what it felt like. And as we were fighting, now Aaron and I, we never had other people or anything like that, but it was this lie that it would probably be easier on our kids and everything else if we just chose to go different directions. It was a shiny apple. It was an easy way out. And I remember calling a friend of mine who's a, who's a counselor, and I said, hey, man, we need to just talk with you, and we need some help. And as we met with him, we were able to see some of the things that we were seeing in the wrong way. And instead of fighting with each other, we started fighting for each other. And, and those moments, 
I believe, saved our marriage this year in May. Aaron and I were married for 15 years. And listen, I'm not telling you that it's been all rosy and amazing since then. Honestly, there's still times that we fight. And it's honestly because she's not agreeing with what I'm telling her. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I tell my wife, I'm like, do you not know I speak to God? Like, do you, do you not know this? Right? How, do you, how are you the only one that doesn't know this? Right? No, I'm kidding. No, we still fight, but we know how to fight for each other. And our marriage is stronger for it. Like, we have people, man, they've been married 30, 40, 50 years. You don't get there unless you go through some stuff. But most people miss out on the, the amazing parts of marriage because there's a golden apple. The golden apple is that person has a thing that your spouse doesn't have. And I learned this a long time ago. There's a Pareto principle called the 80-20 rule. You'll only have 80% of whatever you want in life. 20% you'll never have. Your spouse will only be 80%. They'll never have 100%. They'll only be 80%. Because the longer you're in, you're like, no, 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 no. Newlyweds, you're like, no, they have everything. Like, okay, that's why you're a newlywed, all right? The reality hasn't hit you yet. Um, they only have 80% of what you want. Teenagers, I say this to teenagers all the time, like, you're dating that person. They just be texting you, sending them pictures. They're only 80%, right? 80%. And we focus on the 20% we don't have. That's, that's the golden apple. And when you take that, you'll find that you gave up 80% for 20% and you miss out on the blessings that you already had. Now, listen, I want to put a caveat since I am talking about marriage here real quick. If you're with a spouse and they're abusing you physically, mentally, you need to get out. That's not okay and that's not what I'm talking about. You don't need to be in a relationship that is, that is abusive if you're in a relationship that is consistently cheating, where someone is cheating, that is not like something where you have to like fight through and think that like uh, you're doing God a service by like staying with the person. That's not accurate at all. So I, I want to put that out there because that's important just to say like, oh, the pastor says we're not supposed to quit. No, 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 no. No, there are some times where like you need to be healthy as well, okay? But often if we're honest, a lot of the things that pull people away is the golden apple. The second time that this happened to me was uh, less than a year later. Aaron and I were doing better, a much stronger place. And I just shared with you how our church was like doing the best. Well, the very next year was the complete opposite. It was like a standstill. It was like everything that I felt like I was doing, I felt like I was working hard, it literally came to a stop. And it was very frustrating for me the way that I was, the way that I'm wired was just like, why can't I get this thing moving? Why, like, I felt like we were doing all the right stuff, but like, we just weren't doing anything else. It was like just running into a wall. We weren't moving. And um, I just felt as a leader, as a pastor, maybe I had come to the end of like my run. You know, I'm like, maybe this is just how I'm wired. Maybe I'm just really good at starting stuff. Maybe I can't, maybe like another guy needs to come in here and do this. And so while I'm going through like this season of like frustration and like as a leader, a lot of uncertainty and knowing I had a golden apple opportunity. I had a very large church contact me and um, they wanted me to be their pastor. And I looked at that apple and I said, man, that looks pretty good. And as I started walking that path, as I started going down that road, I also did something else. I called another pastor friend of mine. I said, hey, man, I need you to, like, coach me. 
uh, I've never done this before. I've never been in this situation before. You know, I'm still in my early 30s. I have a lot to learn about ministry, pastoring. Can you coach me? And I told them about both situations. I told them about my situation here, and I told them about this opportunity that I had. And I said, I just need some help. I need someone to, like, invest in me and, like, help me, like, see clearly. And as I started walking down this path of just getting coaching, and I think like all of us, many of you here, like it's okay to say and recognize you need help. Sometimes you need someone who's more experienced, who's down the road that can tell you, hey, here's some pitfalls, here's some things. As I started going through coaching, as I started going through uh, just this investment in my, in my own ministry as a pastor, there are several things that I learned. Uh, one, I, I became a better leader. I felt like I grew as a pastor and I grew in several other areas. But then I also realized some things that we had set up in our church that honestly needed to shift around and change. And as I started to realize some of these things, I also recognized that this other church was just an easy way out. It wasn't the answer. It was just this thing that popped up that said, you know what, maybe that's what I need to do. And I'm so thankful that I said, you know what, actually, hey, thank you so much for thinking of me, but that is not the thing that I need in my life right now. That's not what I want. And it's weird sometimes, like I get asked sometimes as a pastor, like, are you gonna, are you gonna go anywhere, Pastor Dan? Like, I'm so afraid you're gonna move and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, what I wanna say is like, what y'all don't know is when Aaron and I, we moved here in 2011 to Gadsden, Alabama, all right? City of champions. And I was like, I'm gonna be a champion, right? Like, that's why we moved here. And when we first moved here, before Cornerstone was even a thought, we felt we were gonna spend the rest of our lives in this city like that we were going to give everything that we had. And there have been these things and these seasons where it felt like we were going to leave, but God kept us here. And I'm so thankful that I chose to say, because now here we are eight years in and we're continuing to go, I would have missed out on so many stories, so many blessings as I look out over the room. There are so many of you, like when I see your faces week after week, I, I know the story and I know where you came from and I know the hurt, I know the whatever. And I go, I would have missed out on all of it, if I would have took the easy way out. What is that thing in your life? Like, what is the golden apple in your life? What's the thing that you're like, you've just been seeing it, it's been over here. You know, hey, I'm going through this season, it's really difficult, but man, I have this opportunity. And hey, we can only do what we can do. I know many guys and ladies, they they take a job thinking this is the answer, this is the more money, this is the whatever, only to find out that it took more of their time. And they end in the spot they didn't really want to be. And it's okay. Like God still forgives us through our mess-ups and our failures, but we've got to be careful that we don't just take something because it looks like it's the easy way out. You've got to be careful of the golden Apple. I love what Paul writes in Acts. He says, now this is like in a time when his life was like really just in the middle of his ministry. He says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, I want to finish my life strong. Well, we know that he does finish his life strong because we read about it 
earlier. We know he finished his life and gave it all to God. But freedom happens when you don't quit. So let's just change the word life. He says, but my life is worth nothing. And let's change it like you just change it for any other word. But my marriage is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work God gave me. My job or my career is worth nothing unless I use it for the glory of God. My house is worth nothing unless I use it for God's glory. Hey, my kids are worth nothing unless I give them for God's glory. Like debt is nothing, wealth is nothing unless I use it for God's glory. I'm going to use my life for his glory, my social media, my whatever. I'm going to use it for God's glory. It's worth nothing to me. And you'll find that when you value that thing more than God, you're going to find that it ultimately keeps you from what God wants you to experience. It's worth nothing. Nothing is more important than following after Jesus. And when you get those things right, and let me just remind people just in case, because it's not a marriage series, but just in case, wherever you're at, it's God first always. Then spouse, if you're married, they're second. And if you're dating someone, they're not second, okay? They're down the list, all right? So God, then spouse, then family, then your career, however else you want to do it. In-laws could be in there somewhere if you want, all right? Uh, but immediate family, right? That's the order. That's the order. If you have a spouse that always wants, like, hey, you put me, for, no, 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 no. No, you keep the order in right order, and you're going to find your life will be in order, Dang, I just came up with that second service, and I feel like that was pretty good. Keep your life. I'm gonna, I need to write that down. Someone write that down for me, all right? Uh, I don't even remember what I said, but that was, I'll have to watch this. Because uh, I didn't write that down. That was really good, all right? Keep your life. Anyways, it's there. It's online. It's, it's there. It's recorded now forever, all right? So this morning, I want to challenge you to take your next step. Hey, to take your next step. What is your next step? As a matter of fact, it's a value that we have here at Cornerstone is to take your next step. We believe that everyone has a next step. Every single Sunday when you show up, every person has a next step. For you, a next step might be show back up next week. For you, a next step might be, hey, let me start praying. For you, a next step might be, hey, I'm going to invite someone to church. What is your next step? I mean, we value next steps so much that we have a whole card called Next Steps. And it's in your worship guide. It's actually in seatbacks in front of you. But this card's amazing because it like actually puts pen to paper to say like, hey, I have a next step and like, here's what it is. Maybe your next step is like, I need to start serving. This is your opportunity to do like, hey, I need, I'm gonna serve. You know, maybe for you, it's like, hey, I've been showing up at the Cornerstone for a little while and like, like, I need to make this official. I need to join and, like, be a member here officially. Hey, you know what? Good news for you. Like, next step, like, literally after this service downstairs, we have lunch and everything. We have a membership class. We only do it, like, three times a year. Stay after service and say, hey, I'm showing up. We got plenty of food, all right? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is baptism. Maybe your next step is, I don't know, fill in the back. Maybe it's start giving. What, what is your next step? Everyone in this room has a next step. You know, maybe for you, it's like, hey, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And I think it's so cool. Uh, we got like a, an incredible student ministry here on Wednesday nights. And there are several of the teenagers that have gotten together. And they started to go through a version Bible study together. 
they can keep up with like what each other is doing and they're checking in and say, hey, did you read the verse or whatever? Man, how amazing is that, that we have teenagers that like want to like at least spend time in God's word together when they're in their collective different places. What's your next step? Like we literally gave you an invite card to like invite someone to church because that might be your next step. Maybe for you, your next step might be like, hey, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Like may, maybe I need to get baptized. What, what is your next step? We all have next steps. But the thing that will keep you from the next step is the golden apple. Someone else will tell them about Jesus. Someone else will invite them to church. Listen, your spouse can read the Bible. You don't have to. You don't have to give. Someone else can give. You fill in the blank. But every single day, the golden apple just sits there. And it's that constant temptation that all you have to do is take it and your life is gonna be so much easier. Hey, to put it like this in a couple of weeks, we're gonna celebrate Easter when Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice of his life. Man, aren't we thankful that Jesus didn't quit? Like at any point, Jesus said to himself, I could call down a legion of angels and they will rescue me because who wants to go through what he went through? But it was while Jesus was on the cross, he yelled the words, it is finished. He laid it all out on the line. He didn't quit. I love what Paul writes to another church in Philippians. He says, I am certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. In other words, if you're still breathing, there's still hope. If you're here, God's not done with you. If you feel like you're a failure, if you feel like, hey, I've taken the golden apple, Pastor Dan, like I've messed up, I've done some stuff, I've made some things, I'm letting you know that while you're still alive, God's not done with you. And he'll take your brokenness and he'll take your mess. And that doesn't mean you won't have consequence, but it does mean he'll walk you through it and he'll be with you through all of it. You might feel like, man, I'm weak, I can't go do it. Well, when we're weak, he's strong. You might say, well, like, man, I've messed up. Well, he forgives us. You might feel like, like, I can't go on. I feel like God isn't there. I feel so alone. And it's in those moments, he's actually closer to us than we realize. He will help us get through. And he's not done doing the work in your life until we leave this world. We keep going because when I commit, I don't quit. And I follow after God because at the end of it all, following Jesus is worth it. So in your life this morning, wherever you're at, whatever your thing is, whatever thing is tempting you away, I want you to know that following God is worth it. So when you commit to something, don't quit. Hey, let's pray together.